Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 9 of Twin, Twin Talk MN. I'm Ron. And I'm Andrew. And today, we have a really great episode, starting with the National Championship Games for Men's and Women's happened at the end of last week. It is super exciting. We'll definitely break all of that down. The MLB season has been going for a week and a half. We'll break down some of the earliest things that we've seen so far. The NBA season is really coming down to the wire. After today, there'll only be five weeks left in the regular season. It is really coming down to the wire. There's tons of injuries. And in the NFL, the NFL draft is only a couple of weeks away. I believe only three weeks. We are really excited for that, and we'll break all that down. We have a great story, an even better birthday. So, Andrew, let's jump right in to the MLB season. Andrew, we are a week and a half. Is there anything big headlines that you can tell us so far? We have, Ryan. Luckily, I believe last week, we'd just been hit with the Nationals, have multiple positive tests, but luckily, they have gotten back onto the field and played almost a week of games. I'm so happy COVID has not really done much. Apparently, the Blue Jays have at least one or two positive tests, but hopefully, that is not a big deal. But, Ryan, history was made. History. Friday night, Joe Musgrove was on the hill for the San Diego Padres against the Texas Rangers, known for being one of the best pitchers in the league against one of the worst offenses, and he took advantage, throwing a no-hitter. He did not allow anyone to get a hit. I believe he hit only one guy, zero walks, almost a perfect game. Congratulations to Joe Musgrove with the first no-hitter in San Diego Padres history. And... But even but terrible news for the Padres. My favorite player in the entire MLB, Fernando Tatis, is supposed to be out for probably a month with apparently a very concerning injury that he could elect to have surgery, which would leave him out for six to nine months, which is about the length of the season. So he could be out for the season, could be out for a week. We will definitely have to keep you updated. And other big injury news, Trevor Rosenthal in the Athletics, who was out for opening day, like, an hour before his game, will now be out for multiple months with apparently a very, very severe arm injury. Ryan is telling me about four months. Kyle Marte was having a super hot start to the season, but has a small leg injury, and the Astros um, look great at 5-0 versus the A's. Actually, never mind. The Astros are just having a good season so far. Here are some hitters that have been looking really good so far. Mookie Betts, Juan Soto, Whit Manfield, Kettle Marte, J.D. Martinez, Nelson Cruz, Ryan McMahon, Urban Mercedes, Tyler Naquin. Ryan, out of those guys, or maybe a guy not on that list, who do you think is your biggest prediction for the MVP so far? Yeah, Andrew, I mean, this is definitely a really close race. And I mean, I'm still definitely having to stick with Mike Trout in the American League, who has three dang home runs already, which is amazing. But... Just when we look at some guys that could make a case in past years, Whit Merrifield, outfielder for the Royals, has been really, really good. And I feel like this year, he might be able to make a case for MVP if he continues these numbers. But in the National League, we really have a two amazing dark horses, including Nicholas Castellanos, who right now is top five in the league in home runs and was even number one overall for a day. But also, Ryan McMahon. He's an infielder for the Colorado Rockies, and so far this year, he has five home runs, which is top five in the league. McMahon has been playing really, really well. I don't think he's going to make a case for MVP, but if he continues playing like this, he could make a case. Now, Andrew, can you just tell us a couple of teams maybe that have been doing really, really well? Maybe the Cincinnati Reds? We have on the Reds have been doing pretty well. It's mostly just their offense and their home run hitting. Another guy... That you might have heard me say, 
that you don't know who that is is Tyler Naquin. He used to be our Indians, but now is the is the Reds' fifth outfielder. But with Jesse Winker, the left fielder, being injured, Naquin has shined. In his last five games, he has six home runs. That's right, six home runs in five games. That is incredible. Nicholas Cassianos, Ryan said, is having a breakout year. And they have some really good young guys like Jonathan India who are doing great for them. But Ryan, some pitchers who've been looking really great so far are... Jacob DeGrom, Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole, Jose Barrios, Lanson, Corbin Burns, Stephen Strasburg, Joe Musgrove, Dustin May, Ames Valley, Stephen Matz, Carlos Rodon, and Matt Shoemaker. Ryan, just tell me one guy in either league, and then I'll give you my opinion about the Cy Young so far. Yeah, and I mean, personally, I feel like this is really tough. But personally, as you were saying, Joe Musgrove with the no-hitter. A lot of people thought he would have an amazing year, and personally, I completely agree. There were definitely some people whose hopes were a little bit too high, but I feel like he, so far he has showed amazingly that he is a top-level pitcher in the National League. But in the American League, I'm not trying to be biased because I like the Twins, but Jose Barrios, as we kept on saying the entire offseason, he is basically everyone's pick for the breakout pitcher of the American League. And you know what? He did exactly that last week we talked about in his first start. Had an amazing pitcher's duel against Corbin Burns. And in the second start against the Mariners, he really followed up with another amazing start. That's right, Jose Barrios looks great right now. But Andrew, just one thing to talk about, the Mets, Jacob DeGrom. This year, in two starts, he's given up one run. But in both starts, the Mets lost. Do you think this is a big problem for the Mets, or it's just bad luck? Fine. This is a huge problem for the Mets with a team that is, in my opinion, pretty top-heavy with DeGrom, Alonzo, and Lindor. And after that, just some decent depth pieces. You have to win when DeGrom is on the is pitching every single time, in my opinion, if he gives you a quality start, which I'm sorry, one run through 18 innings, you have to win both of those games. I'm sorry, but, sorry, not 18 innings, maybe closer to 13 innings, but I'm sorry, any game where your pitcher gives up zero or one run, you must win with that offense. Yes, it's not a great one, but you gotta win with DeGrom because you're probably not going to win with anyone else. Ryan, when you were saying about Cy Young, I completely agree, but when you were saying Jose Brios versus Corbin Burns, starting pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, who is my pick for this year, Cy Young, just had an electric start against the Minnesota Twins, and I'm sure will follow up. But Ryan, let's get into the end. As you said, the season is winding down, and the Phoenix Suns have become the front runner in the Western Conference. Yes, the Jazz are probably better than them, and I'd probably still have them as my pick to go to the championship versus the Nets. But man, the Suns have been looking really good with Chris Paul. Ryan, which team in the West do you like coming out? Yeah, Andy, this is just going to be really tough. I mean, obviously, you've got amazing players, like, with, on the Suns, you've got, obviously, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, both All-Stars, but on the Jazz, you've got Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert, who are all All-Stars, but on the Suns, you also have DeAndre Ayton. These two teams, I feel like, would have a really, really fun playoff series, both having an amazing point guard, shooting guard, and center, and a bunch of other solid players. I feel like the Suns' big three is better. But the Jazz depth pieces are far superior. Personally, I still have to pick the Jazz to come out of the West. I feel like that veteran leadership from Mike Conley, maybe the best defensive player in the league, and Rudy Gobert, and 
one of the best offensive players in the league, and Donovan Mitchell. I feel like this team and just their insane three-point shooting with Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, and Bojan Bogdanovic. I feel like the Jazz have to come out of the West, but do not mark off the Suns, Clippers, or Lakers. I feel like all of these teams have a good chance. Andrew, what do you think about the East right now? Well, yeah, Vine, as I was saying before, I'm sorry, but there's really just no competition with the Nets. Yes, when I just had Kyrie and KD, were they probably the, maybe the best? Ooh, sorry. Yes, and Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, were they the best team in the league? Probably not. When I add James Harden, were they, were they the best team in the league? Probably. When the Lakers lose LeBron James and the 76ers lose Joel Embiid and the Bucks lose Giannis Antetokounmpo, are they definitely the best team in the league? Yes. Are they the best team in the league when they add Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge at um, the trade deadline? Yes, definitely, definitely, yes. Are they the top team in the league when Kevin Durant and James Harden are both playing like the MVP and Kyrie Irving is playing like the most improved player of the year and maybe into the MVP conversation? Almost definitely, yes. Ryan, all signs point to this team having to be the best team in the league. Don't get me wrong. A lot of their guys are not in their prime, but I'm sorry. Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge have both been playing back to their Clippers and Portland Trailblazers day for when they were in their prime on this team, the Nets. I just don't see anyone beating them. I have to say, if I were to pick a team, I'd probably pick the Utah Jazz just because of Rudy Gobert's defense, who can really beat up on DeAndre Jordan, um, Mike Conley, and Donovan Mitchell being great offensive and defensive players, and their depth, which is the one thing that the Nets sort of lack, but not really anymore with getting two amazing power forwards and big men, which is what they really, really needed. I really don't see any team competing in the East besides maybe, maybe the Bucks if Giannis can get an outside shot quickly. Or maybe the 76ers if Joel Embiid come, is playing like an MVP and Ben Simmons can actually shoot the ball. Now, Ryan, anything now in the NBA, obviously, with it winding down, I really want to talk about some college basketball and football. But just tell me who your MVP pick is, MVP pick is with the season winding down. I mean, this is just really, really tough, but I still... Have to stick with James Harden in the East. I mean, just start. He has just been playing so well. Now, a lot of people's excuse on the Rockets was, oh, no one's even there. 30 points a game. He's putting up way more because his team is letting him shoot a billion shots. His shooting percentage was terrible. And he was just putting up so many points because no one else would. But on the Nets, you really think that they want James Harden over Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant that much? No. James Harden is the best player on that team. James Harden deserves to win MVP. He's the best player in our game. He is the most well-rounded player. And this man, in my opinion, is the best player in the week in the past two years. I feel like James Harden has to win MVP in the East. Sure. Does Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo make a case for it? Sure. Yes. I definitely would say that. If Kevin Durant comes back, which he already has, and plays amazing, does he make a case? Yes. James Harden right now is injured. If he comes back and he's not the same, is he out? Possibly, but I feel like right now, with just every information that I have, all signs point to James Harden. Andrew, who's your Western Conference MVP very quickly? We have, right, as you said, this is a super tight race, but I'm sorry. I just have to go with Stephen Curry. And don't get me wrong, Curry may not be having the best season, but I'm sorry. Let's look at the other candidates. Nikola Jokic, who has Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and their team is what? A seven seed? Then you have... Luka Doncic, who has Kristaps Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., and his team's a 12 seed? Then you have Stephen Curry and Andrew Wiggins, James Wiseman, 
who brings his team to, I believe, a 4 or a 5 seed. Curry is definitely leading this team, averaging close to 30 points per game and 7 assists per game. I don't even know who has 4 points on his team besides maybe Draymond Green besides him. So I have to go with Curry, my MVP in the Western Conference. Ryan, let's move on to some football. Now, obviously, the season has concluded. Oh, wait, we're going to college basketball. Ryan is telling me, and I am super excited because we know who the women's college basketball championship and the men's college basketball championship is. Ryan, can you tell me exactly who won between Stanford and Arizona in the women's college basketball finals? Yeah, Andrew, it was definitely a good game, but Andrew, in the end, Stanford came out on top. To me, it just looked like they were definitely just the better team in that game. Just Stanford ended up winning 54-53 there was three seconds left. Arizona had the ball out of bounds. It's thrown in. She turns. She's double guarded. She turns around. Throws up a three. If it goes in, they win. And it bounces off the rim. Arizona loses. Stanford won. It was a really tight game. I don't know a ton else about what happened in the game, but it definitely looked like a good, good game. And again, Stanford is your women's national championship champion for women's college basketball this year. Andrew, can you tell us more about the men's national championship game? We are fine. As we remember, we were super excited for Gonzaga versus Baylor. Jalen Suggs versus Jared Butler. And the game started out basically like any game does. It's a close game. It's maybe 10 to 10. But then, oh no, Baylor jumps out to maybe a 20-11 lead. Baylor is jumping out to a demanding lead. Maybe 10 points. They wind it. They wind in at halftime. I believe Gonzaga is down by 10 after they go on a 7-0 run to end the half. Ooh, this should be a good second half. In the second half, Baylor opens up, shooting 4 for 6 from 3. That's correct. 4 for 6 from 3. That is 12 points right off the bat. Gonzaga is looking down. They are looking down. But then Jalen Suggs starts taking over. He starts getting the ball to Corey Kispert. Nailing threes. He starts getting it to Drew Timmy in the paint. Suggs starts going for that and one. Driving down the lane. But no, no. Baylor is still coming back with their commanding lead. Up five. Up six. Up seven. Ooh, the game is going to come down to the wire with ten minutes to go. But then, Baylor starts just pulling away. So. So it's just pulling away. And this game, you can tell, is over for Gonzaga. That's right. Baylor is your 2021 men's college basketball champion. They just demolished Gonzaga. Ryan, what went wrong for Gonzaga in this game? Yeah, Andrew, it was really just their offense. All year. In every single game for the Bulldogs. That's, that's, that's Gonzaga. In the first half, they've struggled. The, the biggest weave they've ever had at first half was, or I mean, in the tournament, was maybe 10. And in Baylor, in their biggest deficit in the tournament at halftime, was maybe 4. Sure, they've been down before in the first half, but thing that changed was in the second half. In every game, in the first half, Baylor's offense is fine. But in this game, much like the Kansas City Chiefs, where they get down at the beginning, and they always find a way. They just could not find a way. Their offense was struggling at the beginning, and it was struggling at the end. Baylor's defense was incredible, but obviously that just goes to show you what when you have three all-pro players versus three all-pro players can really do, and really it's just going to is gonna come down to who steps up to the occasion, and it was clear that the Baylor Bears stepped up to the occasion, winning the men's national championship. Now, Andrew, let us move on to the NFL. Obviously, as you said last week, we are still in the dead of the offseason, but Andrew, 
the NFL draft is only in three weeks. We are very excited. So, Andrew, there was a big, big trade surrounding the NFL draft. Can you let us know what that was and really what the ramifications are? Well, Vine, the team, the Jets, with number two overall pick, a lot of people really like them taking Zach Wilson out of BYU, a quarterback, which will replace their current one, Sam Darn. But wait, they apparently are all in on taking a quarterback because they trade Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers for this year's fourth, this year's sixth, and a future second round pick. So basically a two, four, and six round pick. So that means the Panthers will have a decision. Darnold or Teddy Bridgewater, I believe they are going to pick Darnold and let um Bridgewater either sign with a different team or bench him for the year. But I'm very interested to see. But fine, with the draft. This means that the Jets are almost definitely going to take a quarterback in number two. Vine, do you think this was a good move for the Jets to get rid of Darnold, or do you think they should have kept him? Personally, I think this was a great move for the Jets. Was their biggest need a quarterback? No. But but with the amount you were able to get back for Darnold, I feel like this is okay. Also, again, in this year's draft, the best guy who's not a quarterback is an offensive lineman. And again, as I said... For a really good championship team, like maybe the 49ers, who just had a really bad year. Getting that good of an offensive lineman is great. They don't need a huge career-defining guy. They just need one decent guy to help them get a little bit better. And that is what I feel like an offensive lineman does. But for the Jets, last year, basically everyone thought that they would lose every single game. An offensive lineman? Yay. That's what they did last year. They also took an offensive lineman last year, and obviously, look where it got them. A terrible year. So, personally, I really like this trade for Sam Darnold. I really like taking a quarterback. I don't really agree with Zach Wilson. I feel like that Justin Fields would be better, but I like the decision to take a quarterback here. Yeah, Ryan, on the topic of the draft, obviously, this year, as you said, not a huge um, position besides quarterback that should be really good, but Ryan, a, a position that could maybe have up to 10 guys taken in the first round is the wide receiver class. Brian, we all know who the top guys are. Brian, just tell me who you really like coming out of this wide receiver draft class. Yeah, Andrew, I feel like this is really tough. Obviously, there's Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle, all undeniably, clearly, just the just the three best wide receivers in this draft class. And of those three, I'm just such a big fan of Devontae Smith. I mean, I know that Jamar Chase had an incredible year two years ago at LSU, but you have to remember, he did have Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick, and it has been a full year, and basically a year and a half, since Jamar Chase took a single NFL, took a single college snap, also with Jalen Waddle, he was injured for a lot of this year, you have to remember, he was playing with Tua Tangelaivoa for a lot of when we count his real stats, so personally, I just love Devontae Smith so much. I feel like whatever team gets him is going to do amazing. I feel like he might be the next Brandon Ayuk, who is currently on the San Francisco 49ers. Just super athletic. Is he going to jump over Jair Alexander, Jalen Ramsey? No. But he is just so athletic. You give him the ball in space, and he is just going to make the defense pay for giving him one foot of space. I feel like Devontae Smith is going to have an amazing NFL career. Andrew, who is one wide receiver that you really like? Right. One I feel like is Rondale Moore. Now, probably a lot of people don't know him because he doesn't have the flashiest name. But I have to say, Rondale Moore, in his combine, ran a very, very fast time. He's incredibly athletic, like Van Nayu. But I'm sorry, but Ryan, I am going to raise the bar a little from Brandon Ayuk. 
and I am going to say that I have to say the last time I really saw this guy is with Julio Jones. Now, I have to say I'm not predicting him to be the next Julio Jones, but the speed, the hands, the height, just the ath- just the pure athleticism reminds me of watching Julio Jones in his prime. I don't know if this will happen, but I would love to see it. Now, Ryan, real fast, NFL free agency is basically over, but there are still some really good running backs out there. Ryan, tell me, who are some of the best guys and where you think they should sign? Well, right now, basically, we have two huge names, and one of them is a young guy who has been doing great, and one of them, as an old guy, has been doing great. James Conner and Todd Gurley. Conner has had his career stricken with injuries, but he has been pretty good normally when the time comes. And really, Andrew, to be honest, I really can't think of any amazing places for him to go. I don't know. I mean, basically with, with the Bills and the Dolphins, they've always been spots since both of them have a couple of young running backs who haven't really been 100% proven, but I don't really love that. One team that I feel like would be great for one of them is the Jets. You got to remember, in the past, they've had Le'Veon Bell, who obviously is gone and is also actually a free agent. They also had LaMichael P. Ryan, fourth-round rookie from last year. No way they can use him. And Frank Gore, who I believe is also a free agent, and they definitely do not like him. So personally, I feel like James Conner to the Jets makes a whole lot of sense. But other than that, I really don't know that much. I feel like maybe Todd Gurley to the Chargers might work. Obviously, they have one of the best pass-catching running backs in the league in awesome Eckler, Austin Eckler, actually. But I feel like on that team, with a very young quarterback who they might, well, also with one of the best defenses in the league, I feel like it'd be great to have a downhill rusher to really help that not-great offensive line. I feel like Todd Gurley, yes, he is extremely injury-prone, but I feel like they might just have the backups to back him up. So personally, I like Todd Gurley to the Chargers, but really, Andrew, I really don't know. Andrew, is there any other NFL news that you want to let us know of? We have Ryan. Basically, those are the two biggest guys. But also with Le'Veon Bell, I've been thinking about this one a lot. And in my opinion, one team that I really like taking him is the Bills. Now, don't get me wrong. They do have Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and Josh Allen, who's an incredible rusher. But I just feel like when they're up in games, they really need a guy who... Uh, when it's third and two, who's going to get them that first down? And you don't have to put the ball in Allen's hands and make him work his magic, which he can, but I do not like giving him the ball every single play. And I cannot give it to Devin Singletary. So I want to give that ball to Levy on Bell. Ryan, anything you'd like to add before you get into your story? Um, well, Andrew, I would like to talk a little bit about the Minnesota Timberwolves and then the Minnesota Twins. Andrew, I feel like with the Minnesota Timberwolves so far, we have been doing pretty well. And great news, we got D'Angelo Russell back, and he has been doing great. I'm not sure if we said this last week, but our solid shooting guard, Malik Beasley, will be out for the next four to six weeks with a hamstring injury. And as I said before, the season is five weeks left. So if I'm the Timberwolves, I definitely hold him out, especially so that we can earn the worst team in the league, second worst team, or the third worst team. And right now, it's all about the draft, baby. If we get a top three pick, we get to pick it. Cade Cunningham, Luca Garza, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green. Uh, my lips are salivating just thinking about it. Those guys would all be amazing for us. But, Andrew, some huge news out of the Timberwolves. We have been booked for the next two years. Alex Rodriguez, longtime Yankee, will be a part of 
owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, along with one of his friends, along with our current owner, Glenn Taylor. And by the way, I'm not sure if this guy's his friend, but Mark Lau, billionaire, will also be a part owner of the team with Alex Rodriguez for the next two years. Those, Mark Lau, Alex Rodriguez, and Glenn Taylor, Glenn Taylor being the main owner of the team, will all do it together, and Taylor will try to... Um, try to show them the ropes and show them what he wants after he's gone. Then in 2023, um, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lau have full ownership of the team together. But, luckily, Glenn Taylor said that before either of them could sign the contracts, he made them promise that they would not move the team out of Minnesota. And Alex Rodriguez had said that he is very, very excited for this opportunity to be a part owner of the Timberwolves and feels that this team has a very promising franchise in Minnesota. So I'm very excited for this. Ryan with the Timberwolves. Obviously, I feel like we talked about this every week, but if we get that top three pick, who do you like the most? Yeah, personally, I feel like Cade Cunningham is the undoubted number one pick. And even though maybe we don't need a guard, I think we can move him up to small forward or power forward. And I feel like taking Cade Cunningham would be just a dream come true. But I feel like also taking Luca Garza, there isn't that much problem. I mean, yes, we do have Jane McDaniels currently as our power forward, but I feel like with Luca Garza, he can be a top 20 power forward the second he comes into the league. Now, I feel like he would be amazing upping our power forward from, as Stephen H. Smith said, the 32nd best power forward in the league to maybe a top 20 and put McDaniels on the bench, who then is, in Stephen A.'s words, would be a top four bench power forward. So personally, I would love either of those two guys, but really, as long as we get to pick, I'm good with that. Yeah, fine. But we were just talking about last night how impressive this year's Timberwolves draft was. I mean, obviously, obviously the Timberwolves are not amazing drafters, but I'm sorry. With LaMelo Ball out for the year, Anthony Edwards is looking basically the undeniably top pick, even with LaMelo healthy. What Edwards has been doing in this past about month and a half is just phenomenal, averaging over Almost 25 points per game, maybe 7 rebounds, just playing a light-out ball, driving into the lane, having monster dunks. Jane McDaniels, who's actually playing very, very surprisingly, very, very well. I am so excited that we have him for this year. And, obviously, I'm guessing 99% of you forgot, but we still have Leandro Bulmaro, who we picked with, I believe, the 22nd overall pick, who decided to go back to Euroball, but next year should be a great player for us. Ryan, obviously, I don't want to tour our own horn, but in the last couple years, we also took Jalen Noel, who is having a very promising year. So I have to say, this draft stuff really makes me feel great. Ryan, the Twins played the Seattle Mariners last night, and it was a heartbreaker. Ryan, last night, I learned an interesting stat line. The nine-inning games this season, the Twins are undefeated. But in extra-inning games, we haven't won, and we've played three. So, that's okay. We lost three games, and I believe about the first week and a half. But fine. Why do you think we can't win these extra-inning games? I mean, personally, I don't really think there's a science to it. I mean, sure, we don't have the most lockdown relievers in the entire league. That is definitely a fact. Sure, we don't have one of the top haters in the league who can go up against one of the best closers in the league. But it just feels like, guys, just come on. I believe that every, as you may know, each team will start with the runner on second and no outs. And I feel like basically every time, we just cannot score them against Josh Hader, the Brewers' closer. We just could not score. And last night, 
against the Mariners closer. I don't even know who it is. Maybe Yanni Kikuchi. I think he's a starter, though. I really don't even know who it is. We just went down. Boom, boom, boom. Just our hitting has to get better. As we were saying, Jose Barrios is in the Cy Young dang conversation. Kenta Maeda last year. Number two in the AL in Cy Young voting. And, and as Andrew was saying, Matt Shoemaker has done great. Michael Panetti yesterday had a wonderful start. J.A. Happ looked fine, but just started hitting. Just like last year, Cruz is unstoppable. Man, this guy can hit. But everyone else is not doing great besides Byron Buxton, who's lighting it up, having a monster season. But Donaldson, obviously, still injured. Kepler. Kind of struggling. Obviously, Jake Cave, just an embarrassment to the franchise. Luis Arise is fine. And just Sano. Every week we talk about Sano. And just he's so bad. He can't get a hit. When he gets on base, he can't run. And he's terrible at fielding. Jorge Polanco is really struggling this year. And hopefully all of these guys can turn around. Because if we can't, we're going to have some problems. But our newly acquired shortstop, Anderson Simmons, has been doing pretty well. He's been getting on base a lot, and his fielding has not disappointed, but I still feel like he might need to do just a little bit better at the plate. Obviously, our team is still pretty good, but obviously we are not satisfied with pretty good. We are looking to win at least one playoff game. So far, it does not look like that's going to become a reality. Now, Andrew, I'm going to move on to my story. This is the story of a great baseball player named Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini was born in Florida in 1992. He was a big kid and very strong. In high school, he joined the baseball team and was extremely talented. In his senior year, he batted 480, which would be the best batting average in MLB history in a season. He went to college at Notre Dame University and pursued a career in political science, but he decided more to focus on baseball. In his junior year, he had a monster season, hitting 390, which would be a top 30 batting average in a season in baseball history. Trey Mancini entered the MLB draft in 2013 and was selected in the 8th round by the Baltimore Orioles. He did very well in single A and was moved to the Major League roster in 2016. In his first career at bat, pinch hitting, he hit a home run. And in his first start, a couple of days later, which was his third at bat, he also hits a home run, breaking a couple of Baltimore Orioles records. Mancini was only 24, but it was clear he was something special. In his first 12 career games, he hit 7 home runs, which is the most home runs in any player's first 12 games in MLB history. He also is number one all-time for most home runs in a player's first 17 games, technically tied with Trevor Story and Bryce Harper, but still a very impressive feat. Mancini finished his sophomore season batting an insane 298, which is really, really impressive. He finished his third season in he finished third in the American League Rookie of the Year voting. In his third season in 2018, he played really well, becoming most becoming more of the stereotypical power hitter. In 2019, he really broke out, having a great season. Orioles fans were expecting a great season in 2020. When, right before the season, on March 12th, it was announced, and that was also the day the world stopped, it was announced that Mancini had colon cancer and would undergo an emergency surgery in a couple of weeks, and it would end up 
in towards the end of April 2020, he revealed that he had stage 3 colon cancer and would undergo 6 months of chemotherapy. It was terrible that someone who felt like an Iron Man and one of the most physically strong baseball players in all of Major League Baseball was broken down to dust. He was very upset to have to miss the entire season and not to be able to spend it with his teammates. This season, though, he worked very hard during the offseason and is actually back with the team, and he has been playing great. And on Thursday night, he played his first game of the season in the Orioles Stadium. Trey Mancini, this was his first game on the Orioles field in 18 months. After the game, he said, quote, it meant the world to him. And, unquote, he was given a standing ovation, and he also said, quote, It was amazing. I think it's well documented at this point what I went through and what it took to get back to playing. And he was teary-eyed the whole time. Trey Mancini has been an amazing baseball player. And interestingly, last night, he hit his first home run in over 19 months. That is super impressive. At the Orioles Stadium, the fans cheered. Everything was amazing. So great for Trey Mancini that he was able to get back on the field. A very inspirational quote that Trey Mancini has said is, I think everybody wants to finish the year strong. It sounds um, it sounds interesting, but it's honestly what I think when I go up to the plate. Um, it's what I do. I can help my team win and try to have a good at-bat. Trey Mancini is a very inspirational player. It's clear that what he has done is very impressive. Trey Mancini is a wonderful player and a wonderful person. And hopefully for the rest of the year, he has a great, healthy season. And hopefully for the rest of his career, he'll have a very healthy and great season. Great job, Trey Mancini. Hopefully he has a remaining great season. Andrew, let's get to the birthday of the day. It's a great baseball player. Vine, it's actually not a baseball player. It is Clyde Edwards E. Lair. That's right. The Kansas City Chiefs rookie running back, past rookie running back, now second year running back. It is his birthday today. Now, many people know that he was on the LSU team last year or two years ago where they had a lot of fun. But then last year on the Chiefs in their first game of the season, many of you remember Andy Reid wearing that enormous face shield that was extremely fogged up for whatever reason. It was probably pretty cool. And that was obviously Lair's first game. It was one of the most promising rookies going into the NFL season. So, after the kick.
on Twin Talk MN.